So we're going um, to turn to that story of David, um, and Alice is going to read it. Uh, this is an early story of David because he's just about to be chosen to be king. Um, you may remember back in October, there won't be a test on this, but we talked about how the people of Israel asked God for a king. They didn't have a king, um, and they weren't doing so well. Uh, so they asked God for a king, and God said, well, be careful what you ask for, because kings can, uh, they'll, they'll take you to war, they'll take your property, and they'll take your sons and daughters. But they said, no, we want to have a king. And so God said yes, and they had King Saul. And just like God said, things did not turn out well. So when this story picks up, God has decided that there will be a new king. And God sends the prophet Samuel to call God's choice of king. So Alice is going to come and read the, the story. Our scripture comes from 1 Samuel chapter 15. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house of Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and God was sorry for making Saul king over Israel. God said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And God said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to God. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what God commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? He said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to God. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, Samuel looked on Eliab the eldest son, and thought, surely the God's anointed is now before God. But God said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, neither has God chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And Samuel said, neither has God chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, God has not chosen any of these. 
Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Jesse sent and brought David in. Now David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. God said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of God came mightily upon David from that day forward. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, thank you for all the ways that you welcome us into your love. As we experience your word again, transform us so that we might welcome your world. In your holy name we pray, amen. Over the past year and a half together, and for some of us the past 15 years of knowing each other, I think we've gotten to know each other pretty well. But there's one part of my life that I don't think I've shared. My short but vibrant athletic career. For two years back in junior high school, I played, basket, played basketball and once I almost made a basket. Yes, you heard that right. In the two years I played basketball, once I almost made a basket. I never ever actually made a basket, but once I almost did, I saw my chance, I made my shot, the ball went up in that perfect arc and sat down on the rim and it just hung there and everyone waited, would it fall in? and it fell back out into the other team's hands. But it was a pretty remarkable moment. I also tried t-ball and baseball, but I couldn't really hit or catch or throw. I did enjoy my time hanging out in right field, thinking and looking around. But once when I was six or seven, I hit a home run. Now, I didn't hit it out of the park, but I did hit the ball. It dribbled off the tee and I ran as fast as I could to first base. The pitcher ran up, grabbed the ball and threw it way over the first baseman's head. So I ran to second as the first baseman threw the ball to the third baseman, but unfortunately it went way out into left field and the whole team, the other team, basically they ran out into left field to get the ball and I ran round to third and headed on home and I scored a run. Another remarkable moment. So with all those remarkable athletic skills, you can probably imagine that I wasn't usually the first one picked for the team. You know, in school gym class where the gym teacher would have everybody line up and they'd choose two team captains who would choose one person and then another and then another and then another. I didn't ever get chosen first. 
I tried not to have high expectations at all. In fact, I got to the point where I would usually just pray, please, God, please let me be chosen next to last today. And even with all that, my parents encouraged me and convinced me that the important thing was being a part of the team and doing your best. So I actually enjoyed playing. But I can still, I still know that feeling in the pit of my stomach when I come to a story like today's scripture where there is choosing. That's what this morning's story is about, choosing. God, through Samuel, is choosing a new king for Israel. And the way the story works itself out is that all of the youth of one family are brought out and then lined up in the field, and then the choosing takes place. Not you, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you, you. That's a little too close to home. But let's just step back a bit, because this is a very important moment in the life of Israel. God has chosen this people and they've struggled. God has brought them out of slavery in Egypt and they complained, but eventually God brought them into the promised land and they possessed the land, but they didn't have a leader. So they begged God for a king and God said, you know, I'd rather it be just you and me. And God reminded them what kings do. We talked about that last October. Kings with power over will take your land. They'll make wars, and then you'll send, send your children off to those wars. But the people said, no, we want a king because we want to be just like all the other nations. And so reluctantly, God agreed and chose Saul, but King Saul ended up doing what kings do. He became an irrational, violent tyrant, unfaithful to God. And so as this morning's scripture starts, God has decided that a new king is needed, and God calls Samuel the prophet to go and anoint the new king. So God sends Samuel to Jesse of Bethlehem and tells Samuel that God will choose one of Jesse's sons. So Samuel goes to Jesse and has Jesse line his sons up in the field, just like in gym class, and it's not hard to guess who will be chosen. Samuel's choosing a king here, and in Samuel's world, with a king, you almost always go to the firstborn son. In fact, the firstborn son in their world is pretty much all that matters. He gets the inheritance, the land, the kingship. And remember, Samuel is picking a warrior because Israel will be battling many enemies, many empires, not the least of which the Philistines. So it would be safe to guess that Samuel will choose the biggest and the strongest. So there they all are, lined up on that field, Jesse's sons, and Samuel turns to the first, the eldest, Eliab, big, strong, firstborn. And of course, Samuel thinks, well, this is the one. Surely this is God's anointed. Wow, that was easy. But God says, Samuel, hold on a second. Not that one. Okay, so Jesse has his next son come over, Abinadab, big, strong, not the firstborn, but the second, another somebody who's chosen first or maybe sometimes second. And Samuel listens to God and then says, no, sorry, not this one. And the next son is Shammah, no, not this one. And then one after another, seven sons of Jesse pass before Samuel in this lineup. Who will be chosen? Which of these strong young warriors will become the king? No one. 
No one is chosen. And so Samuel sighs and says to Jesse, is this it? Is this all your sons? Are these all your sons? And Jesse hymns and haws and says, well, there's one more. He's the youngest. He keeps the sheep. And Samuel says, well, this may not make any sense, but, but go ahead and send for him. And Jesse sends for David, the little guy, the youngest, not a warrior, but the one who keeps the sheep, the one who plays the harp. You see, David is so unimportant in his family, in his culture, that his father doesn't even bother him to call him in to come and line up. He's not just the last one chosen. He's not even invited to the choosing. Young David, the little guy left out in the field to mind the sheep while everyone else is invited to the party. Young David, bless his heart. And David comes in from the field and comes forward and God says, this is the one. Rise and anoint him. This is the one, not the one you would expect, not the eldest, not the strongest, not the biggest, but this is God's choosing. And the scripture explains why. God says to Samuel, you see, I don't see as humans see. Humans look at outward appearances, but God looks at the heart. And in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, the heart is really the whole self. Humans look at the outward appearances, but God looks at the whole self. Now, because we know the whole story of David, we know that David's whole self is far from perfect. He may defeat Goliath, but we also know that over the course of his life, David will do some awful things for which he will be very sorry. But even so, God looks at the whole self and sees something there when others do not. So in this story, there is hope for all of us who were never, who, who were ever one of the last ones chosen for the team. There's hope for any of us who have ever felt left out or excluded or different. God sees, God sees us. God looks to the heart and knows the whole self and God sees something where the rest of the world may not. The question that drives this story is, whom will God choose? It drives the narrative. It's the obvious question, and God looks to the heart and chooses someone unexpected, not the biggest or the strongest or the most entitled. God chooses the youngest one, the one who was left behind to keep the sheep, the one who seems to be the least likely to be king. Now, we could just stop there because that's some good news but there's something even more important going on here. The obvious question is whom will God choose? But it's not the most important question. In this text, the most important thing isn't whom God is choosing. The most important thing is what God is choosing. And I don't want us to miss this. The most important thing is what God is choosing. In this text, God is choosing to stay in relationship with the people. God has chosen them. You are my people. I am your God. I have chosen life with you all in all your goodness and all your flaws. And through all of life, the good and the bad, after all their complaining, God says, I still choose you. 
all of you in this little guy, this David, I still choose to be your God. And notice this, that in this choice, God's choice to be God to the people, no one is left out. There is not a person standing on that field who is left out. They are all still the people of Israel. And here God chooses again to be God, to continue in relationship, to continue in covenant, to continue in love. That's what God is choosing here. The New Testament gives us another glimpse of that. I think of that scripture in Philippians that speaks of Christ, who being in the very nature God, chose to make himself nothing, the little guy, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human flesh, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, and then was raised into resurrection so that dying with us, we then might be raised to new life in Christ. When the world was most in need, God chose to come to us in Jesus Christ, to enter into the whole of life with us, all of the pain, all of the joy, all of the suffering, the whole of life, even unto death, God chose to be Christ to bring us out of death and into new life. And in that choice, God's choice to be Christ, there is assurance for each of us. In that choice, there is this assurance, God chooses you. God chooses you not over and against anyone else, but instead God chooses you as a part of God's loving choice to be Christ for the whole world. God chooses to be Christ. God chooses you. You see, For so long, too long, we've been caught up in this paradigm of choosing that asks the question, whom does God choose? It's as if we think that God has us all lined up on this field and chooses some, but not others. Some folks are in and some are out because sadly, that's what we do in our culture, even in the church, throughout the history of the world and the church, far too often, far too often, we have set up this paradigm where some are chosen and some are not. Some folks are in, some folks are out. Some are privileged, some are burdened, men, women, black, white, rich, poor, straight, gay, those who think this way, those who think that way. It is the wrong paradigm. It is the wrong question. It is not whom God chooses. It is what God chooses. God chooses to be God. God chooses to be Christ. In just a few moments, we will ordain and install our new elders and our new deacons. All of us are chosen children of God. And in this season, God calls some to particular service. For those who serve in these roles, we're not called because we're the strongest or the biggest or the most powerful. We're called because God sees the whole self. God knows and God sees how we are created to bless the world, each and all of us. And in community, God calls us to serve in particular ways. With every person in the whole wide world, God sees a human being created in the image of God. Fearfully 
and wonderfully made, each of us uniquely created and gifted and equipped to bless the world in our own particular way. Friends, this is some good news. In God's choice to be Christ for the whole world, to enter into the whole of life with us in that choice, God chooses us again and again, not instead of someone else, but with everyone else. God chooses us as a part of God's expansive, expanding, eternal choice to be God, to be Christ, to be life and love for the whole wide world. And that shifts our paradigm We no longer have to live in a world where we have to stand in line fearing that we'll be chosen last or that we won't be chosen at all, that we will be left out, not in, that we'll be excluded, not included. No, we're freed from all that. Instead, we live in a world where we are called to work ourselves out of that old narrative, where we are called to see ourselves and everyone else as God sees us. God looks to the heart, to the whole self. God sees something in us even when the world does not. God calls us to see ourselves as God sees us loved and chosen in God's love, each and every one of us, and we're called to see each other that way too, the way God sees each of us, each one of us chosen in love. When we ask this more important question, what does God choose? That old image sort of fades away, this image from junior high gym class, lining up in a field to be chosen first or last or next to last or not at all. God has already chosen God has chosen to be Christ for the world, and in that choice, God continues to choose us again and again, all of us, the whole world, and within that broad and expansive and loving choice, God continues to choose you, 